Welcome to the Real Deal Podcast. Hello, everybody. My name is Maddie Marshall, and I am uh, pretty happy to finally get Jason Edwards to uh, to talk to to discuss how he uh, stepped up and him and the core group of uh, damaged players saved the team from oblivion. Jason, how you doing today, man? I'm doing good. Finally settling down a little bit. Yeah, right. Uh, so you know, as as things were kind of breaking. Um, was you know really looking forward to kind of getting you on here so we can you know just talk about the history of damage I mean you know one of the most successful teams in paintball and when the news had, had broke that that you guys had folded it was uh, kind of a heartbreak for a lot of people including myself you know I was really hoping that you know after I mean last year and you know this is what we're going to talk about but you know, last year you guys just had a bad start to the year, and if it wasn't for you shooting five dudes in that uh, overtime point in that relegation game, who knows how the year would have went for you guys, right? Oh yeah, I think that was definitely uh, a changer. Yeah. So, so, um, so then you guys went on to take fourth, third, third, second, finishing second overall to uh, to Edmonton Impact. Um, but yeah, but dude, I just want to talk to you about the history of uh, of of damage also your history because if people just got into the game i don't think they'd really know kind of what a paintball success story you were i mean you went from you know a kid that nobody knew who was overweight to being a jacked monster on some of the best teams ever to walk the earth you know so that's kind yeah. of a that's a rad story man it's one of perseverance and and uh and one i think a lot of people you know out there in, in the interwebs land could uh could relate to so that's what I want to talk about today, man. So let's start with let's start with the most recent stuff. You know, I think that is kind of on the tips of everyone's mind right now. So so put myself, put everyone, everyone out there listening, put me into your shoes on the day that you got the call from Joey saying the team was done. All right. Um, so considering I work with the actual owner of the team, CJ, mm-hmm. I, I kind of was catching wind of it a little early. Um, wasn't too sure because you know there was always. There's always talk when you're not really sponsored by some, say, a company, but when you're sponsored by like a wealthy individual that owns your team, every once in a while they kind of want to like back out. So we've heard it before, but we didn't really ever take it as like, okay, it's really going to happen. Yeah. So then uh, it's in the middle of the night, and uh, Joey goes ahead and does like a team text and says, you know, I just received a 15-page text from CJ, and we're gonna not play this year or you know that was kind of where it stood so this was at night like middle of the night type stuff like wake up to take a piss and you check your phone and you're like whoa wait is what is this yeah basically jesus yeah so i mean and then just being you know like the not the captain of the team but just everyone comes to me my phone just started blowing up people asking if this is for real and what are we gonna do you know is there any way of saving the team or you know is this just it a lot of people on the team just kind of called it quits. They were like, all right, well, this is the only team I want to play with. And if we're not going to play together, then I'm done. And then some people, some people had offers, but a lot of us have real jobs and it's hard to travel all over the place. Um, myself included, I just actually moved over to Largo and, um, I, I just, I don't know. I couldn't do it. I was like, I don't want to travel all over the world. The teams that are like calling me or talking about practice in 10 days and, you know, being gone from work for 10 days, plus your weekends, and it's just it's insane nowadays. So what uh I, what what teams? I'm just I mean if you you know if you're willing to talk about it since you stayed on the team I and mean, what teams were hitting you up because I mean if you people don't know who Jason Edwards is the guy that you're listening to right now like dude's a beast you're a beast bro you finished 11th overall this year you know widely regarded as you know one of the best players out there and definitely arguably the best player in your position out on the field I mean there's only a couple guys out there that even 
could contend on any given day. So I'm assuming you were probably getting hit. Even in the crazy, you know, this is a buyer's market for, for the top teams. This is There's a, a lot more players looking for spots than there are teams looking for players. So I'm just wondering, like, who, you know, who was interested in your talents? Well, my old coach, obviously, Jason Trozen's coaching Heat. So he wrote me and, you know, wanted to see what was going on, if I was going to retire, was going to keep playing. Um, Archie from X Factor, he hit me up and just kind of was like, all right, what's going on? I'm sorry, everything happened so late. Do you need to, like, find a team? Are you going to continue to play? Um, The thing that was killing me is all these teams, considering how late this happened, really only had one spot. So obviously, like, my idea is to play with my younger brother if I were to go somewhere. Yep. So the only team that came at me with two positions available was Aftershock. And it was literally the day before we signed our contract to keep the team alive. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's got to be kind of cool, though, man. I mean, you did, you know, again, even though these top teams are so stacked that they're going to have issues with playing time as it is with the guy, the, star, the stars they have on these rosters that you were getting those offers. So that's that's pretty cool, you know? Yeah. But and I mean, it was, it's scary. It was just. It was so late that it was like crunch time. There was like countdowns, like, all right, if you guys are going to have a team, we need an answer, you know, in three days, two days, et cetera. And then, you know, people also like, you know, LJ Woodley was looking for a spot. Ronnie Dizon was looking for a spot. There's other good players out there that are looking for teams. So those guys don't want to hold those spots available for you to like, you know, make a decision later on. Yeah, that's true. It's not like you could snowball anybody and be like, oh, let me think about it, man. You know, I got to do this and that. It's like, no, dude, we need an answer because. Yeah, exactly. So, okay, so you got that late night text, kind of had the little mini freak out, then everyone started calling you. And I mean, at what point were you kind of sitting there wondering, okay, I mean, was it that night? Was, you know, kind of just like, dude, do I really want to, how do I, what do I do? You know, was that, was that running through your mind? Well, the crazy thing is, like, just besides my teammates, was just, you know, Facebook people, everything. I had so many messages that I, I just started scrolling through. And the one that caught my eyes, was Chris Williams over at Virtue, and he was just like, "Hey, you know, I don't have a way of contacting you. Let's uh, let's talk." So I knew that we were already discussing sponsorships with other people because our contract was up at die. Mm-hmm. So I was like, nah, "I might as well pursue this and see what's going on." And you know, Chris came out full bore, just like, "How can we help? I don't want to see this team go down." You know, and we just we just started like snowballing from there, putting everything together, and just doing our best. And every every day was just a struggle to like make sponsorships work because everyone clashes somewhere along the line yeah it, that game is uh is a bitch to play man it really is but yeah. you, you gotta if you if you believe in something you gotta fight for it and and you did that you know so so when you were calling the guys i mean did so when those first initial conversations were going down when they had found out did was that a group text that joey had sent everybody joey blew the manager of your team old manager i guess you could say yeah, yeah it was a group text you know letting us know that I think the text actually came more towards the end of the day, but considering my work schedule, I got out later, and it was just, you know, team's done, this is what happened. By the time I scrolled through, like, obviously my, my younger brother is only 19, so he's a little more emotional. You know, he had quite a few words in those uh, text messages about how much this sucks, and he, he hates everything, and blah, blah, blah. That's a typical um, knee-jerk 19-year-old reaction. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's so late, what am I going to do? And then you got the other guys that are just like, is this for real? You know, and it continues to go. And then people are trying to, like, solve the puzzle. Like, why now? Why this late? Yeah. I mean, then there had been rumors that, like, oh, Dia dropped your sponsorship. And that was the reason. And that, that wasn't it. You know, it wasn't that, like, Dia dropped your sponsorship. It was more that because, I mean, you know, you guys, obviously, the, the bulk of the money from the team comes from C.J. Basalis, who was a, who's a, used to be a player on your team, a pretty good one at that. But so he had started damage. 
and then had played for years with you guys and kind of become, you know, buddies with everybody and really good friends with, you know, all the core guys. And then he had just, you know, because he runs a really, you know, huge business. So is that why he kind of walked away after some time or? Uh, a little bit of everything. Yeah, he, he stopped playing. He ended up having a couple kids and, you know, work is always really, really picking up for us. I mean, every, I would say every week he seems to have a new client. So he's always traveling and picking up more clients and it was just a little bit of that and just the amount that we cost you know we we're spending more and once we started picking up out-of-state players obviously you know your roster increases you're going to increase the uh, the cost of the team and it just got to the point where they finally decided enough is enough and yeah he's just i don't know he was just over it but he still is helping though i mean not obviously to the point that it was before. And, you know, and hats off to him for loving paintball so much and loving you guys so much that he was willing to provide, you know, number one, you know, cause that's that I always call them paintball patrons. You know, they're guys that really love the sport and see the positive side of, of giving people a chance to, you know, live this life and, and go on that adventure um, and, and have the means to do it, you know, and it's a special mix and combination. So, I mean, hats off to him for doing that as long as he did, but he's still helping you guys out. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one thing I told all the guys on the team. I said, this, I think this is the right direction. Um, in Florida, growing up, we always had three to four professional paintball teams, and we're down to being the last one. And the trend that I noticed was we started relying on a wealthy individual rather than an actual paintball company. Every team, if you've noticed, would like leave a main corporate sponsor and then go to a wealthy individual. Yeah, you're going to get paid more for that year as a player because they're going to try to buy you out and make you win. But the guarantee of lasting longer is you know it's way lower where if you have a company sponsoring you and pretty much paying everything as a title sponsor should they come into play a lot more often and they'll work with you i felt like so tj's still helping he just kind of stepped down a little bit lowered his budget tremendously which is good for him and it's good for us it was kind of like a wake-up call yeah and i think that that has been you know i've been watching you guys play for years and played against you back in the day and it's like you know, there's so much uh, talent and experience on your team, and you guys have done so well, especially in the past five years. And, you know, I mean, you won world championships. At one point, you won three PSP events in a row. Um, yeah, and you, I mean, you guys kick some ass. And it just seems like sometimes it's like you guys are finding still tr- – or, or because you've been to the top and you've done it enough times. That it, and this is the question that every season pro asks themselves is like, you know, why am I still doing this? Do I still want to do this? And I think that because paintball is so mental, I think that might be – and you, I don't know this is why I'm asking you the question is that do you think that's why, you know, last year you didn't win any tournaments but you kept getting as far as you did? I mean, it just seemed that – you know you, that you guys weren't fulfilling your on-field potential for some reason. You know, I, I don't, I don't really know. I can't put my finger on it. No, that's a good question. Honestly, we had a. Um, it was like a. It was like I said. It was kind of. It was heartbreaking, but at the same time, it was an amazing wake-up call. I would say for the last couple of years, we just kind of went with the flow, and you could tell like our natural talent would take us to the top, but it wasn't enough to secure first place. And this is the first off-season after I told everyone, "Look, I got all the contracts signed." We have a team, like, let's do this. This is the first time that everyone seemed so excited that they were pestering me to get the gear so we could practice. Usually it's like, oh, shit, this is our first practice. We have practice already. <laughs> yeah. So now, like, now they're coming on me like, well, where the hell is my gear? Let's get it here now. And I'm like, all right, you know, well, like, it's nice. It's, I'll tell you what, man. It, it, you guys are going to be pretty damn scary if, uh, if that's the case. I mean, if you guys have a reformed mental edge, 
then you want to go out and smash people and earn that respect again like you guys did when you were first rising to the top. Uh, you know, if, if I was back in the league again, I'd be like, anytime we played you guys, I'd be like, hey, you know, make no mistake, this is going to be a different team than we saw last year. So, you know, because, I mean, as, we, as you know, dude, it's the, the margin of error and the windows that open out there and your ability to create windows is so much, it's so much your intent, you know, your will against the other, against the other dude out there. And that's, that's one of the reasons I love the game. And, uh, and I really think it's going to help you guys really have a chance to win again. Again, not, you guys obviously had a chance to win last year. I mean, look, at, look what you did from event two to event five, you know, fourth, third, third, second. But it was just, it, you could just see it in, the, in your body language. And the body language uh, betrays a, a, a paintball player's soul, man. I really believe that, you know, like how, how a guy walks off the field when he loses a, a bad, in a bad situation, um, if he made a mistake or if he didn't, you know, how confident they feel, how motivated they are. So much of that is betrayed by what you, you know, the, it's in your body language. It's unhideable if you know what you're looking for. And, um, and, and you guys last year, it was just like I saw a bunch of highly trained, amazing paintball players that for some reason didn't seem to have that internal motivation to be the best again. I mean, it was like you guys had the motivation obviously to go and play and play the game and try to be good. But that like, like we are going to smash people that I that like uh, kind of swagger that I saw you guys have when you guys were first riding up the ranks like three, three, four years ago. Like, yeah, it was different, dude. I just, it didn't see that in you guys. And I, and I remember seeing how you guys were and you were just obliterating people. And, uh, and I think that, you know, this, this might reignite that fire for you guys. I don't know. What do you think? No, I totally agree. And like, I, we, we sat there and we talked about it as a team and, you know, it's not anything against the, you know, Joey when he was managing us or skinny as a coach or Paul, when he was coaching us, everyone just kind of was like, I felt forced to do certain things, you know, certain plays. I felt, I felt forced at practice. You know, I felt like it was repetitive. And now it's like, everyone's like, let's just freestyle this. Let's have a blast. Like, this is why we're here. You know, we're here to have fun and also win. And, this is the first time in years that people have acted this way. So I truly think this year is going to be one to remember. I agree, dude. There's so many different kind of ways you could take this too. And I got a lot, I just feel like all these different things are kind of bringing different questions to my mind. One is, um, you know, you guys have kind of been known, uh, that you, I mean, you have a lot of, you have aggressive possibilities, but defensive tendencies. And I'm wondering with the way that the guns have changed. So the guns are going to be slower this year. The rate of fire just went up to 13.3. I don't know if you saw that today or not. So it was, no, it, it was at 12.5. It went up to 13.3. Did you see that? No, that's awesome. Yeah, so it went up a little bit. And, um, you know, but, the, but still, you know, it's, it's like look at yourself. Like you're a badass gunfighter. And that's your stock and trade. That's re- you're good at – that's probably – I mean, you're not the smallest, fastest guy out there. You're definitely pretty fast for your size. But, um, <laughs> you know, you're not Keith Brown. <laughs> that's you know? true. Um, but you're an amazing gunfighter and you're a really good shot. So now knowing that I, I, and I've had this discussion with a couple different guys on the podcast, but I really truly believe that, that, that these, these gun rules are going to bring the element of the gunfight a little bit more in because it's going to be harder to just keep a guy in by just getting your gun going. I mean, you know how it is when you're like, you're loading with one hand and you're just letting that gun rip at, you know, whatever it was, 12, five, two years ago, and then 10 to last year. I mean, it's just so easy to shoot your gun and load at the same time. It's not going to be as easy to get a sustained burst out. So that whole head check and gunfight logic really comes back into play. So a guy like yourself, I mean, being a really good gunfighter, it's going to be easier or should be, you know, at least on paper, easier for you to be dominant out there against somebody who's, you know, technically not as good at you as far as that skill is concerned. So I'm wondering, you know, one, like you guys have been consistent 
um, with the, with some of these defensive plays that you you know kind of been known to run. But I mean, with some of the most badass aggressive, play, I mean, Holiday is, and then I know you lost Chad and you lost Keith, but still, you know, I mean, you guys have some offensive players that I felt never really, or not never, but would shy more towards the defensive side. Um, but that produced consistent results for you guys. But I, my my thing always was I would rather go out and win a tournament and then take fourth at the next event or whatever, even if it was sixth. Um, and then, you know, I just, by, I don't know, by playing, by riding that aggressive edge, then that's where you're going to find those wins. And I would rather take, you know, a first and a fifth and then a second and a seventh and then a first than three or four, third or fourth place, you know? No, I agree. And um, the way we look at it is there's different types of aggressiveness. And ours was always like a sneaky approach to aggressiveness. Like we look, you know, we like to make the moves where you don't see it coming and then it happens. And with the coaching and the ramping and all that, it slowed it down tremendously. You get to the point where, you know, you sneak up on someone and you're just waiting for that one head check that they'll do. And we're all such good shots. Like, we'll hit them with that one ball. Well, when they got someone standing over and I'm telling them, you know, stay down, stay down, stay down, it kills us. So we started going into defense mode, basically. We've never been one of those teams to, like, run around stupid. Um, maybe it's like a Florida thing or something, but that's how we were all brought up. We were all brought up to to make aggressive moves, but to be sneaky about it. And I really think these rules are going to favor us tremendously. Yeah, I think so too. But it, it's kind of interesting that you say that because, you know, a lot of the trolls out there are like, oh, stupid, and it's going to change the game, and like, stop changing things. Like, number one, and I keep saying this, but it's like, dude, stop saying don't change things. Like, when you look at the, the beginning history of baseball or football or any of these major sports and the, the, you know, the incubation period when those sports kind of became what we know them today as, and they've been that, they've had mostly that form, and even still they change the rules, um, little tweaks here or there, even in the modern game. But it took, like, a long time for rounders to evolve into, into baseball and for, you know, the ground game that existed when, you know, football was, was first created in the late 1800s before even, you know, the forward pass was, you know, invented by Pop Warner. Uh, and there's an actually a dope podcast that um, I think it's uh, done by, I think it's on NPR, um, but they just, they talked about this exact thing. They talked about Pop Warner kind of inventing, he didn't invent the forward pass, but, you know, he was kind of credited for like trying to, you know, going home after a rule was changed and grabbing the football and trying to figure out like, man, how the hell can I, how, how can we throw this? Because it used to be in football where if you threw a pass and it was not completed that you were docked 15 yards, which back in the day was a massive, huge penalty. So it really yeah. kept anyone from, you know, that forward pass. And the forward pass was really what opened up football to become an incredibly amazing game to watch from a spectator's point of view. So, you know, we're still, and anyone that doesn't think this just does, hasn't read up or been around long enough, but we're still really kind of in, you know, I wouldn't say our infancy anymore because, you know, paintball has been around for 30 years, but I would definitely say we're not any farther past our adolescence. And I think that's just a fact of the matter. So shit is going to continue to get tweaked until we come up with something that we really feel is, is the best, you know? And, and it's, that's just, I just say, get used to it, man. You know, like, and so with this thing, I mean, you just basically said that at least I, I, I agree with you. And I mean, you basically said that like, yeah, if, if the guns are the way they are and we all have to walk fields and no one can coach from the sidelines, this is going to give us or should on paper give us a huge advantage, which I totally agree with, bro. Definitely. Um, so and then another thing that, that this is going to be a little tougher for you guys, though, is that I think because, you, you know, you don't have the budget for a coach anymore and you don't have the ability to have a manager. I mean, manager, that just makes it easier on you. So you don't have to book flights and deal with all the bullshit. But, you know, but it's that's just work. You know, that's I mean, that it's just stuff that needs to get done. It sucks, but not super difficult. Um, 
But the coaching thing is a little bit interesting because I think that, you know, we'll see how it plays out, but I have a feeling that the coaching uh, side of things is going to be a little bit more important this year because before you had the luxury of playing a field for two or three weeks, maybe, you know, longer. I mean, it would have been moved to four at a certain point in time, but regardless, you had a bunch of time to play the field and figure out what worked and what didn't through process of trial and, you know, uh, and a process of, you know, what's working and what's not process of elimination. You guys don't have that luxury anymore because you're not going to see the field until you actually get to the tournament. Um, So the coach is going to have to really kind of, you know, look at what's working and what's not and potentially pull audibles and, you know, and try to figure out what plays to run. And so you, that kind of all falls on, falls on your guys' shoulder. Not that you're not capable. You're obviously capable of doing that, but I think it's going to take um, some infrastructure there, whereas, you know, who's on the field? Because if you're on the field, you can't be really calling the plays. I mean, you could, but, you know, you're not getting that objective view, a viewpoint because you're so focused on doing your job. Um, so I think it's, I mean, have you guys kind of addressed that already at all, or, I mean, you have so much experience and I think it's just going to take a little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of time to figure out what's going to work the best, but then, you know, trying to figure out like, okay, cause like, for instance, if you're out on the field and you're playing on the starting line and you come off and that point didn't quite work, but you might have to be able to go to another guy who you trust and it can't be everyone at once. Cause you only have two minutes to figure it out. So you're going to have to listen to a voice or two tell you like, all right, that didn't work. This might work. Let's try this. And you're going to have to either go with that or, you know, based on what you saw out there, try to come up with another plan. I mean, what's your contingency plan for all these different occurrences? Um, basically it all falls back to world cup. When we won, when we went to world cup, uh, Joey was having his child. So as a manager, he didn't show up. And then coach Paul, we didn't have like a fallen out per se, but um, there was kind of like a mutual understanding of, all right, we're going to have like a line captain or something of that sort. And this line's going to kind of do what they want to do. But when we were coming off, we would tell each other, like, if we're, you know, if a snake guy came off, he would tell the next line, that snake guy, what happened, where he got shot, what lane that was high or low, et cetera. And we only focused on the other person playing your position. And we stuck to almost a generic game plan because one thing that we've all noticed in paintball is like, when it comes down to coaching, a lot of these coaches try to dictate the entire game, and you can't do that. You can tell us the primary bunker, but nothing is gonna nothing's gonna be the same ever. You never know who's gonna get shot off break, which person's gonna get a penalty, etc. And what happens is they try to like put in too many secondary and third moves, and when you follow that to a T, like we're trained to do, it falls apart. You have to be able to audible, and that's one thing we're pushing for this year is to go back to how we used to play back in the day, like 10 men, you'd walk the field. The second the horn went off or, you know, the whistle blew, it was just mayhem. Everything changed. And that's the core that we have. That's how they grew up playing. So we're going to go with basically just a straight freestyle paintball style and see if that's going to just be more fun. And if we can be more creative and see if it just works for us. Like we, we truly thought it did work for us. at World Cup. we won, but we did have a coach there. So it's kind of like a, a hit or miss, but it's also going to pull the blame game away. We're one of those teams when we lose, we typically always end up blaming our coach, regardless if it's his fault or not. We're going to blame him. I mean, we've all done it since we've been on this team, and it, it sucks for the coach, but this will pull that away, and I think it'll have people weighing in on themselves a lot more. Yeah, that no, I mean, it's going to be, it's, yeah, dude, I, I can't wait to see it. That's that's pretty crazy. Um, it definitely could work, though. It, it, you guys are just going to have to be, you're going to have to call each other on your bullshit, but you're also going to have to be a little bit light on each other because I've seen this happen before. I've been on teams like this, and if you guys can avoid the, you know, well, I told you to do this and you didn't do it, you know, kind of, you know how that goes, right? You know, and it's like, 
things are going, if things are going great, yeah, it's going great. It's really easy to be an awesome dude when you're winning. But when things go bad, that's when, you know, like typically you guys would have a fall guy and that would be your coach. Now that's going to be everybody. So you're going to have to kind of go a little light on each other. Um, especially in the beginning until you kind of figure out like what, what's going to work best. But then, you know, also dude, you have the webcast too, you know, you go back and watch the webcast and be like, well, that worked great. Or God, that didn't work at all. Maybe we need to change that tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, man, it's, uh, it's going to be cool, man. It's definitely a new adventure for you guys. And I'm happy that you guys are stoked on it. And so, I mean, there's a couple other questions too. So who is, who's still in, I mean, what's your, you know, what's your, what's your group look like right now? Um, so our team is still consisted of the core minus Rumsey, Keith and Chad, Keith and Chad obviously went to impact. Rumsey is a rather large sales rep for a meta, uh, meta, I guess like a medical company. I'm not quite sure, but he's trying to grow his business. So he's going to take a break. Um, we have a couple of people coming to try out this weekend. We, uh, we've been keeping our eyes on them and we've also been watching like the free agents, seeing who's still out there and whatnot. But our main goal is to keep it all Florida based. Um, we've always been firm believers in, you know, if you hang out, if you practice together, you get to know each other more. You don't have to like wait for people to fly in. You don't have to get them to the airport. You can practice on your own terms. That's going to be more successful. So we still have myself, Brian, Jacob, uh, holiday, Tammy Probst and Paul Everett from our original squad. But there's some, some tricks up our sleeves for people that want to try out and stuff. So who, who, I mean, are you looking at any younger divisional players or is this still on the DL? You're not, don't really want to release those names yet. Or like, who are these dudes? Can you talk? about? Yeah, we got some, uh, we got some divisional players that we've practiced against and we've watched and, you know, like my younger brother, he plays, Jacob plays every weekend. So he's at the field. He can pretty much tell you who's coming up and who's doing well. Um, we're going to offer them tryouts. And then we're also considering a farm team in Florida just because of what happened with damage. We don't want to see that happen. And, you know, Florida end up with no pro team if all of us older guys decide to go and retire one day. We want to get all these younger guys trained and at least be, you know, one of the best Division One teams so they have that opportunity to step up when it comes. Yeah, well, that is that is another interesting thing that's starting to happen. It's not every team in the pro division, but... But this is how it is in the divisional ranks. You know, in the divisional ranks, it's about, you know, you got the best dudes from your field or your area that play at your level of ball, and then you go and and try to represent for your buddies and your your area of the world. When I came up, that's what it was about. It was very much tribalism. You know, it's like I always wanted to play in the Ironman, even when I first got on Navarone, which was a pro team at the time, but Navarone was falling off, and the Ironman were, like, skyrocketing, and they were the best team from our, our part of the world. And I was like, dude, I feel like I'm one of the best players from our part of the world, so I want to be on this team. And, and then when you went, you were playing from the best guys from, you know, against the best guys from Midwest or the best guys from Georgia or the best guys from Baltimore or the best guys from New York or Chicago, Florida. You know, I mean, you're just playing these, these like tribes of dudes, these crazy assholes who are from another part of the world who thought they were better than you at shooting, you know, at playing war essentially. And, and it, that meant something back then. And it, and it, and it's starting to, it looks like it's starting to mean something again, because, you know, realistically, there's only a couple teams out there that are a mixed mash of, of players. You know I mean? Even the Russians who have a bunch of French guys on the team, you know, the Tauntauns are badass, And then they've got, a, you know, some Russian kids they are bringing up and Kirill is holding it down as like the old school Russian guy in the team, but that's still, you know, a Eurocentric team. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, on the flip side over here in the States, I mean, it's only really impact and heat that are kind of the quote unquote superstar teams, um, as far as like bringing dudes together from all over the United States. And also now with heat bringing the Russians over too. I mean, you know, so kind of international, but, but that's it, you know, other than that, it's, it's, it's back to tribalism. Yeah. And I, I like that. I really think that's how it should be. There should almost be a rule put in 
where you have to play where you're from or where you're living. <laughs> that would be because then I mean it would just be a, it would be a fight all your you know the, your entire paintball career you'd be fighting you want to train the best people because when you leave you're gonna want someone to step up and take care of what you built. But right now it's like ah screw it you know I'm playing for this team out in California when I leave they'll go buy someone else. Yeah, and now you guys are literally holding it down for the state of Florida. I mean, Florida did, like you said, used to have multiple pro teams. I mean, you guys have been, you know, realistically holding it down for the state of Florida for a while, but that, you know, that's it's kind of cool that you recognize that and also not, you know, having been doing this for a long time now, didn't really want to have to, you know, or having evolved to the point where you got a job, you got a girl, you got a house, like you're not a 16-year-old kid just doing, you know, or 18-year-old kid just kind of living by the seat of his pants anymore, which is smart, obviously. And I'm always trying to preach that too, man. You know, the guys out there listening, it's like chase your dreams, but chase your dreams with intelligence. You know, you don't yep. want to put yourself in a bad spot down the road because you are completely – and you don't have to listen to me. <laughs> God knows <laughs> I didn't listen to everybody growing up, and, and I maybe you won't. But it's just it, – you're kind of hedging your bets there a little bit. It's like I'm always saying, like, get a trade, man. You know, figure out how to do something for money that's not just shooting people with paintballs because – um, you know, that it's, it, I, I do firmly believe that the sport will gain in popularity as time goes on, as long as, you know, that's the fight I'm fighting as much as I can, but, uh, with the resources that we have, and that's why, you know, we really need your support still out there. Thank you very much for supporting us. And this is a huge year. 2015 is a huge year for what we're trying to do. Um, but yeah, dude, it's, it's very much about that. And it's, it's really cool to kind of see you take pride in that and be like, Nah, man, this ain't gonna die on my watch, dude. Can we make this happen? Like, let's let's call the troops up and see if they're still down to ride again. And and it and it sounded like they are. So, to talk to me a little bit about the, you know, the the history of, of damage and I mean, how you guys. And then I want to I want you to tell your story too because I think you have a very inspiring story, man. And um, I think a lot of people when they hear what you had to go through and how you had to reform your body to play the game at this level is is incredibly inspiring. So, but let's start with damage. So. You know, give me the you know, give me the the backstory on Tampa Bay Damage. All right. Well, Damage was around before I even came on the team. It was a uh, demolition. There, I think they were Division One or Two. Um, they have changed the name to Damage. They picked up some of the guys from Raiders and Strange. They uh, they went to pro. Everyone thought they were going to be a joke, and I'm pretty sure they won Chicago the very first year that they were a pro team. And um, I found it absurd that people thought they were going to be a joke. I mean, they had like Brian Smith, Holiday, all these key players from Strange. And for uh, the Jack- record, I was never one of those dudes that thought they were going to be a joke because I played against Strange for years, and I, yeah. and I and the Raiders had some good guys on their team too. And that you know the demolition dudes, the younger guys, like they had yet to prove themselves. But just the the dudes that we had banged against before, you know, and and, and played against those guys, I knew they could play the game. And then also, we didn't really know how good Brian Smith was going to be, but man, holy shit, in Chicago, he was shredding people on the snake that one year. Yeah, they're fighters, and I mean, even the younger guys that no one ever heard of, you know, Spence, Rumsey, um, they they were still all really good, and obviously, they're going to play with Brian Smith and Holiday and Timmy, so they were only going to get better. So it was kind of funny when they came in, everyone was like, oh, here's your next Miami Effect, which is the team I played for, or legacy you know these teams are going to come in and not win and then they just came in proved their point right away so it was, it was nice seeing them come in the only thing i had on them the entire time they were a team is while i was on philly they never beat us once every time they played the all-americans we beat them so joey had like some kind of a data or something he was like all right my goal is to take you off this team so i went and guessed with them in vegas in a seven-man event and um while I'm there, he's like showing me you know, the best time of my life, and I was like, all right, you, you know, cut to the chase. Like, obviously, this isn't true. You're not going to act like this every every event. You know, we're not going gambling every day and stuff like that. And uh, on my way home, I got an email from Adam Gardner telling me that our team was actually going to be folding. 
So it's another story like what just happened here. And uh, I was like, all right, well, this is my chance to play for a Florida team again, and uh, I won't have to travel nearly as much. So I jumped on with damage, and right out of the gates, we just, like, I mean, I think Chicago was the only year they won, or the only event. And then other than that, you know, they had a couple of decent places. Um, not toot my own horn or anything, but when I got on the team and, you know, my younger brother got on the team, Keith Brown, all these guys, we were we have been extremely consistent in the in the top. And that's something that I've never wanted to let go. These guys never wanted to let go. And I just think, you know, over the last two years, we just kind of, I'd say we, we lost a little steam or something, and it's it's all coming back right now. So I'm extremely excited for it. Yeah, well, I mean, because you guys came, you know, you guys peaked in that, that time period where I believe it was um, – uh, 2011 to 2012. So the the you guys won World Cup in 2011, and then or you won the last two events in 2011, and then you won won the first event of 2012. If I'm correctly, if I'm or if I'm speaking correctly, does that ring yeah. a bell? Yeah. yeah. So uh, that was your peak, and that was amazing, dude. To win three events in a row, like that's, I mean, that's really really hard to do, and and so that kind of was your peak. And then since then, obviously, trying to get back to something like that is pretty ridiculous. But you did win um, uh, uh, Mid-Atlantic Open, uh, not this year, but the year before. West Coast Open. Yeah, Yeah. sorry, you're right. West Coast Open, fourth event. And uh, and then so – how big of a hit was it to lose Chad and – to lose lose Chad and uh, and Keith? Um, We've always kind of thought Chad might end up on impact. He's uh, he's really good friends with Bart and – you know, Chad's one of those guys, like, he's great. He grabs a hobby, and he just, he masters it, and he's got to move on to the next one. So kind of like that with the team, I never knew if he was going to stay long-term or what. You know, he's always looking for that next thing. Not the next better thing, but just, he's like the true definition of ADHD. Like, he's ready. He's got to try something different here and there and just keep going with it. Um, as a hit, you know, he's a great player. Keith's an amazing player, very loyal. Um but at the same time, I, I even told Keith, like, I think it's good. It's the same thing when Jacob quit in the middle of the year and went and played with Heat. If this is your only pro team, you need to experience another pro team at least once in your life before you decide to retire because all they know, Chad and Keith, are, you know, how CJ treat, treated them and how Di treated us. So it's kind of nice to go out there. Like, Jacob went to Heat, and, I mean, he didn't have anything bad to say about them, but it's just a different lifestyle. It's just a different way of being treated, and you're constantly flying around. You're going to either get burnt out or you're going to love it. Where I think Chad's truly going to fall in love with all the traveling, but I see it, I see it wearing down on Keith in the long run. That's interesting. Yeah, because when I when I talked to Chad about it, uh, he had basically said, I mean, he had nothing but amazing things to say about his time on Damage, and I mean, there was literally not one negative syllable that he uttered, uh, even when you know when we were talking behind the scenes, um, you know, not on public record type stuff. I mean, he was just you know just singing the praises of the dudes and CJ and. Um, but he was just kind of, he really wanted that. He wanted that adventure side of it. He wanted to go to Europe. He wanted to travel around. He'd never really got to do that. And, uh, to the extent that he wanted to, and, and that was, and it was just kind of like another challenge for him. Um, you know, and then with, with Keith, you know, Keith is a little bit younger, I, I feel as far as evolution of his game than say a Chad is, um, you know, you could argue that the snake is a, is a more perilous spot than than the than the one on the D side, which is you know their positions. I mean, Chad playing on the the D side of the field and and uh, <clears throat> and Keith playing in that one on the snake side, and you know it's 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 a rough and tumble world over there on the snake side. So you know, but Keith's a talent, and I'm just interested to see how they're going to manage playing time over. And that was the one thing with Keith is I was like, 
you know, man, it's like he had kind of started to evolve into a little bit more of a go-to role on your team. And, and please correct me if, if, if I'm wrong. I'm, this is just my observations from watching you guys play. But he had, he had started to evolve his play. He got more consistent, and you guys seem to be giving him a little bit more opportunity. But now he's going to a team in Impact that already has some phenomenal athlete guys to play the snake. You know, I mean, you know, Justin Cornell was, is a murder machine out there. And so I'm just wondering, like, how much playing time they're going to give Keith. Because if he doesn't get a bunch of playing time, then it's going to be, I mean, even with the, you know, even with all the practices and stuff, I mean, no, nothing, nothing sharpens your skills like playing in a tournament. And, um, and I don't know, what do you think? Do you think you're going to give him a bunch of playing time over there? No, and I, I actually told him that. I mean, if you watch, uh, Danny Parks didn't get that much playing time. And basically that's who he's replacing because, you know, they release him and they picked up Keith. So you got to kind of like see whose spot you're taking when you go to a new team. The only thing I told him is, Every time I play for a new team, which is way too many to list, you're always going to learn a new skill. You're going to learn a new style of play. You're going to learn how to trust someone different. So in the long run, it's going to make him a better player. But at the same time, I don't think he's going to get – well, I know he's not going to get near the playing time he would have on our team, especially with the uh, the lack of players that we have right now and how much we you know loved having him. But I hope that he can prove himself there and still get enough playing time to be happy. Yeah, and how many guys? I mean, I know you listed them off, but I can't. I didn't count them. How many dudes you got on the roster right now? Uh, we have six. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty light. Oh yeah, but yeah. But so, the good thing is we're all in good shape. We uh, you know typically by Sunday, like if you watch Heat or anyone play any teams that usually succeed in it, you're down to six, five, six players by Sunday. You really only play your best, the, not your best, but the people who are playing the best that event in that time. And uh, that's one thing we're kind of leaning towards and. I mean, it was going to be a little tactic, but everyone does it anyway, is uh, with the lack of walk in the fields, the lack of practice in the fields, the more playtime that you get in preliminary matches is going to really benefit you in the finals. So that's kind of one of our our strategic, you know, what we're going with. Yeah, and, and speaking of being in good shape, dude, let's, let's tell your story, man. This is a really good story because, I, I, you know, I mean, I remember when you were first coming up, I mean, and your nickname literally is Fat Kid, which uh, yep. is hilarious because you're like – you know, you're a jacked monster now. So it's kind of like ironic. It's like calling the bald guy curly or something. But um, but people don't know that you were actually the chunky kid trying out there to go play paintball. And um, so, I mean, where did you – I mean, I, I, you know, I've seen you come up, so I know your story. But a lot of people out there don't. I think it's, again, like I said at the outset of the podcast, I think there's a lot of guys out there that, that maybe if they hear this story, they might be like, well, dude, I think, you know, if, I mean, I got, a, I got a strong will. Like I'm, I'm a lot tougher than people think that I am. Like I, I could do this. You know, I think if you tell your story, it might give a little burst to people out there, man, and, and give them a little bit of a little bit of oomph to their their willpower. All right, yeah. So um, coming into paintball, like I was 14 years old, um, right when I started trying out for a professional team, and I mean, obviously, you're still carrying baby baby weight and everything at that time, and I'd say it was a little bit of the partying, a little bit of going pro young and everything. I just started to continue to gain weight. I was always athletic. I was always fast. Um, I ended up getting on Miami effect and I started to notice a trend where every time a new coach would come in or new players, they wouldn't really judge me on my skill. They would judge me on my weight, you know, like, Oh, he can't go into the snake, which I always did, you know, or he can't play up the middle. You know, the X at that time, the X was actually a lot thinner. Um, they're like, he shouldn't be up there. You know, he's not going to be able to fit. And then the turning point was at one time we had three Jason's on the team and it was, uh, it was just a joke at first, but they were like, all right, we'll call you by your last names. No one was listening. So 
They're like, all right, your name's Fat Kid. And then, they, you know, they go on and on and get the other guy's <laughs> nicknames. And I was like, I was like, all right, so I guess I really am that fat. And uh, Oh, man, that's terrible. Yeah, so <laughs> I, went, I went home and I just, you know, after practice, I flew back to Orlando. And I was sitting there and my, uh, it was one of my friends. He's like, all right, let's start working out. And we just hit it hard. And it was literally the first time that I saw a change in my body that I was just, I was hooked. And so the first time I stepped on the scale, when I actually decided to like see how much I was going to lose, I was 260 pounds, and I didn't have nearly any muscle on me. Um, Damn, dog, you get to 268. What's up? Oh, you got to two. Did I hear 268? It was it was in the 260s. I remember that. Good lord, bro! I didn't even think it was that 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 big. You know, like I, I thought kind of like I knew you were like a chunky dude because uh, my, how I heard about you was you know during that time. Um, cause we're talking, what, what is this like 2004 ish maybe? Right. Yeah. So like 2004, so like, oh, you know, you know, everybody, everybody talks shop and, oh, the young up and coming dudes and blah, blah, blah. And I can't remember who it was, but somebody, I think from the Miami effect camp, I think it's before you even got on the team was like, oh, there's this chunky kid from Florida. Who's, who's going to be really good one day. He's massive, but like. He's uh, but he's gonna. He's just got great gunfighting skills, and he's got a great mind for the game, and he's a cool dude. And I'm, and we're like, oh, okay, you know, like, this is Jason Edwards, and I was like, oh, okay. So the name, I just kind of remembered the name, and then I saw you play a couple games. Um, but people kept people that knew you from home kept talking about you, um, and and talking about your dedication, because I guess you used to play a lot of paintball. Oh yeah, way too much. I used to get checked out of school to go play. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, so you had those, you built the, those initial skills up enough that you really started getting. But man, I didn't, I didn't know you were at two sixty eight. I would have said, I mean, maybe, maybe like two thirty. But I didn't realize. I mean, and you're a big dude, you know, you're you're over six foot tall. Um, but uh, dude, okay, so that was that was like that was it. You're like, that's it, dude. I'm 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 on a mission. Yeah, and then it was just it was insane. Like when you start losing all that weight. Actually, I got, I kind of went too skinny at first, and then, uh, but you you know you start running quicker. You start fitting in bunkers better you're able to make moves that you used to not be able to make you can survive when you're down on bodies because you can get in tighter it was just there was way too much fuel on the fire at that point to let go and it just it became an addiction like it was bad um but it was just it was everything worked great so it was funny because they would continue to call me fat kid even after that then the newer people you know they're like i can't call you that so they started just saying fk so it's funny because you know i sign everything fk etc but when people here like you know you'll see an older friend who you know is no longer playing from like say the all-americans they'll be like hey fat kid how you doing and they're like why the heck did that guy just call you fat like you know they just don't even know the story behind it so it's hilarious half the time that's crazy dude but hey man more power to you that's uh it's hard to do you know a lot of people think you know that they just kind of get in that mind rut where they're just like oh well i'm just a big dude you know there's nothing i can really do about it Uh, another story was um alex rodriguez from the was no longer with the ironman and we don't know who he's going to play with this year but he had a very similar story, um, yeah. you know, so it, it definitely is possible. I mean, how much of it did it, did that transformation, how much of your metamorphosis, how did that, how, how much of that had to do with like you wanting to be the best paintball player you could be? All of it. I mean, it all came from that. Like I was already done playing baseball. Um, for some reason, maybe it's my blue eyes. I don't know. I never had any problems getting girls. So it all just stemmed to paintball. It was just like, like I said, once you change a little bit, you know, you see it you know, physically. So you obviously want to keep going. But when I started to notice that the things that I could do in paintball that I used to not be able to do, it was just, I don't know, I was hooked. And then especially with X-Ball, you know, you're playing back then it was two 25 minute halves. Yep. So my goal was to never come off the field. I wanted to play every single point. And if you got gas, you know, 
every time I got gas, I felt like I let my team down. So I would continue to work out and just try to get my cardio up as the best I could. And then, of course, you know, anyone who works out, once they get to that point, then it's all about gaining muscle. And it's just, it, it was all, all, be, all paintball. It was 100% paintball. So how long did it take you to get to your, I guess, you know, your fighting weight? What do you weigh now? Uh, I say right at 200 consistently. Um, I actually dropped all the way down to like 165, 170, and that's when I was too skinny. It was just, I actually saw a picture of myself like during Christmas time handing someone a gift, and my arm was just like this skinny noodle like tube, <laughs> and I, I just freaked out. So then that's when I stopped doing as much cardio and just started lifting more. And um, I found like my comfort's like 200. I may not walk around like Scott Kemp or Alex Goldman shredded, but at the same time, it's like that comfortable feeling, which is, you know, what you need. Yeah. Yeah. So, so as far as, um, how did you get, like how much, how much time did it take? Like how long in between you deciding that you were going to make that change to you being at 200 pounds or even getting past that down to 165? Like what, how long of that, how long did the transformation take? Less than one season, uh, less than a year. It was just, I literally, I had the worst eating habits you know, I didn't care about working out it or anything. So it all kind of like piles together too. Cause at that time I was doing construction work. So construction itself is, you know, a workout. i owned a paintball field so i'd play two to three times a week um then i'd work out a minimum of five days a week and then if you cut out soda salt and all that nonsense it just melted away really so i mean it really in the end didn't even it wasn't even that tough when you look back at it or, i mean was it a bitch no no actually it was easier to lose weight than it was to gain muscle wow it's just it's all about like telling yourself like every time someone would put some like shitty food in front of me i would just tell myself like all right is the next event more important or you know is the next event going to feel better for me? And is it going to last longer than like the eight seconds of satisfaction that I'm going to get from eating this piece of cake? <laughs> I didn't even tell myself I was po- like, I was like allergic to half this stuff. Like it was poison, you know, relatives would come over and try to give me something. I'd be like, no, nah, I'm allergic to that. I can't eat that. <laughs> so you just convinced, just convince yourself that all delicious little treats are just poison and you just refuse oh, well, to eat myself them? and everyone else. Cause if you tell people you're allergic to it, they stop bringing it to you. And most people, you know, it's, it's, most people will stick to their diet. It's the other people that, you know, make them fail it. Yeah. Wow. That's a, uh, well, congratulations, bro. It's a, uh, it's a tough road for some people and you made it sound really easy. So, you know, hopefully people can understand that, you know, if you really want something bad enough that, that you can change your life around because, because what happened from that is that you did go from the really big guy who was pretty good to being one of the best players in the world in pretty short order because, you know, and how did you get on Philly? Because you've been, you know, trying to get on. I mean, that seemed like your quest. Like you wanted to, you know, you were the one of the up and coming guys from Florida, but you didn't really ever play for Florida teams that I can remember. I mean, I'm sure you did, but um, you weren't an institution. Like you've been an institution on Damage now, um, but where you really rose to prominence was was with the Philly Americans during the, you know, which is a, a and again, if a lot of people just got into paintball, like. You know, a lot of people don't understand that the Philly Americans were a huge franchise for a long period of time, one of the most successful teams in the game. And then when Smart Parts went out of business, that team folded. And uh, but you were on that team during arguably the most successful, one of the most successful runs that they had. Yeah, um, growing up, like obviously, like Frank Connell was on the All Americans, and he lived near me. Um, but the way I looked at it was like the three main pro teams back then that you wanted to play for was Ironman, Aftershock, and the All-Americans. So I just basically chose the East Coast team and just tried to work my way towards that team. And when I was 15, they picked me up. I went to uh, Mardi Gras and LA Open, and I didn't play a single point. I mean, I dressed out. It was like Christmas. I had a garbage bag full of gear that I've never thought I would ever receive in my life. 
And then uh, Billy Gardner bought out Miami Effect from, you know, back then Infamous. And he was just like, here, you can go to this team and you'll get as much playing time as you want. I think you'll get really good. Is that something you want to do? And I just, I jumped all over it, went down there, uh, got my teeth kicked in for a couple of years. And then after that, I mean, I developed all the skills I needed to earn my spot on Philly with, uh, along with Ryan Moorhead and a few other guys that came from Miami Effect. And we just became a family. Like I'd fly out there, you know, 40 something weeks of the year. And we just grinded and grinded, and it was just—it was an amazing, uh, an amazing journey. Yeah, and then that's when you became the player that you are now, and and really a fixture as like one of the best back players on earth, um, because you really were such a versatile player. I mean, how do you look at your role in the field? I mean, you you play that three role typically, but you're—I mean, you've won big one-on-ones in the past. You, like I said in the beginning of the podcast, you you were the reason that your team didn't get demoted down to uh, the challengers division at that first event. Cause you literally got a five pack in the last point of the game to, uh, to win it for your team. So, I mean, how do you look at, at your, your role on the field? Um, so ideally my favorite thing is to either, I truly love the snake, the Doritos or up the center. I love to be the first guy in and get as fast down the field as I can. Um, but every time I've ever played on any team, They'll always say like, all right, well, we need you to stay alive. You know, you're, you're the eyes, you look around, you're the smartest player we have, you know, you know, which way to fill, et cetera. So I've always been like the, uh, the anchor, like I'll sit as close as I can towards the middle. And if you pick off the snake side, I'll go to that side. And even if it's one on three over there, they'll count on me to play one on three on that side and let my Dorito side try to flip the field. Vice versa, I'll do the same thing and I'll fill over to the Dorito side. So I've always been designated the anchor on the team. And it's not because of like size or anything. It just comes down to like, you know, if, if I have a you know two on four and there's two of us and four of them, you know, I'm not going to pull the Chad Buser and like try to run down two guys on my side and leave the other guy with a two on one. I'd rather sit there and, you know, choose my gun battles wisely and try to make it go down to a two on two before we make anything happen. Yeah, man, it's uh, <clears throat> that's definitely how at least how I see it. Um, you are, again, you're very, very versatile. It's just interesting now because I'm thinking about with these changes and how things are going to happen. And then also I think that that's going to add kind of like we were talking about to it's going to, it's just going to make you more dangerous out there, man. Cause people aren't people that aren't as good as you aren't going to be able to push you around in your bunker as much. And, uh, and then also what I'm also wondering though, is kind of what you're, when you're, you know, I mean, it's a lot of, a lot of people, you know, when they're looking at the game, you have to look at it as like, okay, what players are matching up against who? And so when you're looking at these other top teams, like because you guys only have six dudes, it's really going to be up to those six guys to have the stamina and to be playing well that weekend because you're going to be matching up against teams that are going to be able to put fresher legs out there with some really talented dudes at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we'll have more than six. There's a couple people that, you know, we still call it a tryout. Um, we're not guaranteeing anyone a spot because one of the things that's happened to us before is people were guaranteed a spot and came in and played like shit and still got on the team. So we'll have more. We just, uh, we're not really saying names or anything right now. But as far as like the comparison there, we're hoping that by them consistently putting in fresh legs and stuff like that, we're not going to have to have the issue of like, okay, this guy hasn't really had much time on the field and he goes out and makes a stupid mistake. There may be a mental mistake if you're tired, but we've been able to get through and get to the top just by, you know, going through the motions. So taking now that we all really, really want to play and we're actually going to put in the heart and the effort, I think we'll be able to bypass any of those, uh, any of those roadblocks. Yeah, dude. Well, 
It's a damn good story, man. That's for sure. I can't wait to see what you guys do. It's going to be a brutal year, too. I mean, when you kind of, you know, just like last year, I mean, yeah, there's been a lot of teams that have fallen off and um, and even a couple of, you know, with our chaos. But, I mean, the really good players got absorbed from other teams. And it's just going to be another year where if you kind of go down the list, I mean, it's like, look at, so, who you know, Impact took the title last year, the series title. Uh, they took third at World Cup. I mean, and they stacked up this year, just like we talked about with the Chad and Keith. So, I mean, they're going to be a force this year. You guys are, you know, going to be back with this renewed fire. So that's going to be pretty crazy to watch. The Ironman took third overall, and they've lost Mouse, and they lost Alex Rodriguez. But when you kind of go down their depth chart, I really liked what I was seeing out of it and, and the tenacity out of some of those younger guys. Like, Brand, obviously, Marcelo is a beast. Um, he's taken, taken second in the Top Gun title for three years in a row. I mean, he's obviously <laughs> one of the best dudes out there. Poor Marcelo. Yeah. Just keep taking second <laughs> for three the years in a row. The worst feeling in the world. <laughs> oh, man. Um, but you know, I mean, the Ironman still, you know, you can't count them out and, uh, they have good leadership on that team. Vicious is gone. They were fourth overall dynasty, especially with these rule changes. They should be a force this year. Chaos is gone. San Antonio X factor took seventh. They can definitely win terms. I think, you know, I mean, they picked up Carl Markowski, the speed demon from Chicago aftershock, um, Upton 187 crew keeps getting better and better. Infamous is stacking up. They got, uh, they picked up, um, um, uh, Trevor Reeser. And, uh, and then they also picked up, uh, mouse, you know? Yep. So, and that, I mean, so yeah, infamous and they won the first event. That was a talk about the craziest year that anybody had. I think infamous had the craziest year. They won the first event, in the champs division. Then they got knocked down to the challengers division where they stayed for two events only to come back at world cup, uh, or three events. And then they come three back. Yeah, yeah. Three events. And then they come back at world cup and literally have probably the best paintball game. I think I've ever seen played against dynasty and they win it after five one-on-ones. That was insane. Um, shock. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, I mean, and then, okay, so now we're all the way down to the 11th ranked team overall, Chicago Aftershock. They just picked up Woodley and Dizon, who, uh, you know, I don't know. What do you think about Shock, man? I mean, they got Velez back. Velez had quit for a little bit of time. I mean, and with, I mean, just with Velez alone, Brian McKenna started to play really well. Um, and then uh, with the addition of Woodley and Dizon, like, I think that's a really, I mean, I, I don't, we'll see how, how strong they actually are when they match up against the top teams, but. You know, Dizon and Woodley can play some paintball, man. We've seen Woodley pull some really clutch stuff off in the past three years for Heat, um, and and I feel that Dizon is uh, is also not not near his peak. And if he gets a lot of playing time out there, I just I really feel like I think Shock could surprise some people this year. What do you think? No, I definitely agree. The one thing I'm excited to see about them is they have a lot of newer players. I want to see what they're going to do without the coaching. That's one thing I've been looking at a lot during this. Uh, the rule changing is trying to see what teams have already like played without coaching on X-Ball fields and which ones haven't and which ones have, et cetera. So I'm actually excited to watch Aftershock play. I want to see because, you know, like when you go to a local field, you don't usually mess around with the coaching too much because you don't even know who's on the other side of the net yelling at you. So I know a lot of those guys play frequently. I'd like to see if it's going to like stick with them or if these younger guys are going to just crash and burn without having a coach yelling over them the whole time. Yeah, that's one of those unanswered questions that's just kind of hanging over us before we start, you know, going March uh, 13th through the 15th is the first event. Mark that on your calendars. Um, and then Moscow Red Legion is kind of an interesting story, too. They they have the, you know, they have the Tauntauns on the team. Um, they're bringing those guys back. And, uh, you know, they, they had a pretty dismal year in the beginning of the season, 19th, and they took 12th. Um, which earned them a right to come back to the champions division because they finished uh, second in, in in the challengers division. Then they took sixth. Then they took fourth at um, uh, at the West Coast Open. So and the story there is they have these really young Russian players uh, that are on that team that just 
you know, that they're just trading up right now. So, I mean, how good have those guys gotten in the offseason? And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. You know, it's I mean, what's your thoughts on Moscow religion? Um, I think that I actually I think this rule change is going to hurt them more than anyone, because when you have people yelling from the sidelines all in English, it gets, you know, distorted. And with them, they always had that little extra help because they're screaming Russian now. You know, you can just pick it out and listen to exactly what you want to listen to. And every league that they play in has coaching. So I think as players, they're all robots. I mean, they're all great. They all have all the basic fundamentals. But I just think that they're not going to be able to adapt to the freestyle play that's going to happen this year as quickly. I think by next year, if the rules stay somewhat the same, it'll be a whole different ball game for them. I just think this year they're probably going to crash and burn a little bit because if you practice them and the coach walks away and you know is talking to someone on the sidelines and you bunker one of them pretty damn good, oh, they let their coach have an earful every time. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, yeah, so, I mean, that's what they're going to have to be fighting against. And then, uh, you know, all the, another crazy story from last year was Revo. You know, Revo came up and, and gave some people some games and surprised a lot of people towards the end of the year. And then we also have AC Dallas coming into the league, too, and Trey Muggan Outlaws. And, uh, you know, I I sent Greg Pauly some interview questions, and he sent me back, and it's I'm, and it's so good. I'm, I'm gonna, we're going to post the whole thing up because it's just <laughs> such – but, it's, dude, it's, it's crazy because uh, – you know, sometimes I send guys interview questions and they send them back and they're awesome. And sometimes I send them back and they then they're terrible and they're really short. But dude, Greg Pauly literally sent me twelve thousand words, dude. Like he sent me an, a, like a short novel on where AC Dallas came came through, and I was like reading it, reading through and editing it today. It's a yeah. pretty amazing story, man. Like you know what, what they've been able to do and and just how a little bit, a lot of hunger and a, and, a, and a ton of training. And uh, and a coach and some 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 talented players that are willing to you know to just get their asses whooped by X Factor over and over and over and over again. He said they would just go to, to X Factor's training facility and just like go a whole weekend not winning a point or like winning a one point for like a year. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe yeah. not maybe not for a whole year, but like there'd be weekends where you know like two years ago where they wouldn't win a point, and uh, and he would just weed guys out and find who studs were, and slowly but surely like they came into last year and. And I'm just reading it, so we'll we'll be, we'll be posting that up on on our site. But my God, it's it's a great story, man. So I'm looking no, forward. That's to, excellent. Yeah, I'm looking forward to see you know to see and and, and you know if, either you're if you're listening to this, you're probably you know you want to be there. You're there currently, or you've been there. And so kind of it, that that adventure of of playing tournament paintball, even if you're at a region at the regional league, like where you know it's 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 such a it's just a crazy world. It's so exciting because. You know, you, you don't know how far you can go personally. You don't know how far the team you're on can go. And, you know, a lot of it is just so – it's so contingent on how much you're willing to – I mean, look what you did, you know. I mean, again, you started from – you know, it's it's not like you were cherry-picked from the Florida, like, top team at the time and then just slowly but surely gradually, like, brought up to play on that team and then you were on that. I mean, you had to go find your way, you know, oh, on, yeah. on many different teams, being the chubby kid who was who played a shit ton of paintball. And then slowly but surely, you proved to all these people, like all your doubters that, you know, like – yeah, dude, I'm the go-to guy, you know? I mean, and you proved that to everybody, and now you're, you know, one of the best players in the world. So it's just... It's like, it's like what Paulie was saying about AC, or what they called, uh, was it AC Dallas? or Yeah, AC Dallas. Yeah, I mean, you know, they go there and they get they get beat up over and over and over, and that's exactly what happened to a lot of us, like Ryan Moorhead and myself. You know, we sat on Miami Effect for two years not winning a single match, and people would be like, I don't understand why you're staying on that team, you know, but you learn more every time you lose. Every time you lose, you can identify your flaws and you can pick it apart and you'll make yourself a better player. And one thing that I try telling every younger player that I talk to, or even not younger, but just the lower division is 
don't burn your bridges and just sit there and, you know, you're going to have to pay to play paintball. It's not a get-rich sport. It's nothing like that. It all depends on how much you truly love to play, how much you want to hang out with your friends, and if you want to travel the world, this is a great sport. If you're trying to get rich, you're trying to travel all over the place for free right away, it's not going to happen. You're going to have to sit there. You're going to have to pay your dues. You're going to take a beating. You're going to play on teams where you just get ran over constantly. But people see that. People will definitely identify you, and you will get picked out for better teams down the road. Well, and that's one of those things that there was, you know, and everyone's talking about, oh, was pro paintball this and pro paintball's dying or all these different things about, you know, oh, why do they even do it? Or It's not even really pro. They're not getting paid much money if they're getting paid money at all. It's like, dude, leave all that bullshit at the door. Let's talk about what this is really about. First of all, it's about you and your passion. That's what it's about, you know, and like, and who is somebody else to tell you what you should do with your life and your passion? I mean, that is horrible man like to to shit on somebody else's dream because it's not going to like make them rich one day i mean dude you don't get to take your money to the afterlife dude you and 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 that is one of the cool things is that you know it's like i mean and there's so many cliches and there's tons of stuff on everyone's always posting these quotes on their instagram but you know a lot of ways it's really true man it's true that you know, I mean, yes, money is incredibly important in life. If you don't have it, you don't get to eat. You can't afford college for your children. You can't put a roof over your head. But once you have the basic necessities of life taken care of, like where does your joy come from? Obviously, it comes from, you know, experiences. It's not the things that you buy. You know, I mean, it's like that's like one of the, age, you know, age-old things that, you know, it's like people destroy themselves to try to, like, build their businesses up and get rich. And God bless you. If that's if that's your trip, man, awesome. Good for you. If that's your passion and you want to just make a shit ton of money so that you can buy a Lamborghini, cool. But once you get that Lamborghini, then you want something else, and then you want something else. And then now you have all these possessions, and it's like the possessions don't define you. You know, it's, it's about, at least for me, and again, if that's what you want to do, I'm not necessarily destroy. I don't want to, that, that's just not for everybody, you know, but it's like for somebody else to tell you that you shouldn't want to go play pro paintball because you're not going to make, you know, a million dollars from it. It's like, dude, think about back in the day, like, there, again, if you look at other sports and then they look at other sports, it's like, oh, these football players are making millions of dollars, like, you know, all that sort of stuff. Number one, like the chances of you getting to NFL are so slim, it's ridiculous if you're not a 400 pound monster. And, uh, and also that's just where we are in the modern world because the NFL and that sport has become such a business. But back in the day, guys would, they were just really passionate about playing football. They just love playing football. I mean, I can't I think it was like, in, it was, I can't remember exactly what year it was in the early 1900s, but put, football had become pretty popular, but people were dying playing football. Like 19 people died in one year playing football. Yeah. And the president, Teddy Roosevelt had to come in and like, and he loved the game, but his son had played the game and his son was like, you know, had broken nose and you know and he was kind of getting messed up a little bit but he you know at the time there was this like you know uh there was a a a push towards like manliness in 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 america and and so he really loved football because he felt it was a manly sport um but you know but for for generations people played baseball people played football not necessarily for money they played for the love of the game because it was just a really fun thing for them to do and and that's you know that's paintball for the majority of the population and that's okay man it's like it's good that they're passionate about that and and we spent a lot of time on the podcast talking about all the good things that paintball brings to your life but i mean it's like you know, I mean, like you said, you know, I mean, you got yourself into shape because you wanted to be, you know, you made your life better because you wanted to play the game. And then you also, I mean, you work for your owner. So he looked at you as like, this is a, a competent enough guy. And I've seen him be competent in the world of, of our, of our structure of our team that I'm going to give him a real life job. That's going to pay him enough to, you know, have a career, you know? So that's, that's badass, dude. Yeah. You just don't want to burn your bridges. You know, you never know where paintball is going to take you. It may take you outside and, you know, basically what happened to me and then, you know, have a career outside of paintball or I mean, you may end up getting a career inside of paintball, but 
you're going to meet so many wonderful people that can help you throughout your life. And that's truly what it's about. It's just, it's just the, the huge network of friends that you're going to meet. And it's, that's really what paintball is. It's just have fun and enjoy doing it. Don't try to get rich. Don't try to, you know, get on the next best team. Just sit there, play with your friends and enjoy your time in paintball. Yeah, man. Well, hey, dude, thank you very much for joining us. I appreciate it. Um, I wish you the best of luck this year. And I, I can't, wait to, I can't wait to see what you guys do. It's, it's going to be a crazy year, man. So, I mean, other than damage, other than you, so you can't, you can't say you guys, who are the other teams you think are going to sit at the top of the heap at the end of the year? Um, top of the heap. Honestly, I think, uh, I think X-Factor is going to do really well. Um, they always were clutching seven men with no coaching, so I think that's going to come into play. Um, I think Dynasty is going to do really well just because of the history and everything. They, they understand how it used to be, and I think they're going to, they're going to excel with the new rules. Um, I think Heat's going to clash. I think there's too many great players on that team right now, and I, honestly, I think that's going to hurt them. And I think the same thing with Impact. I don't think they're going to do bad, but I think they're going to have the years that we've had for the last couple of years. Um, so I'm going to say X Factor, Dynasty, and I'm going to leave it at that. I think it's going to be those two plus us. Awesome. All right, man. Well, thanks again. Also, thanks to our sponsors, GI Sports, Planet Eclipse, Die Precision, and uh, Empire Paintball for helping us over here keeping you know just this we're all in the fight man trying to push paintball forward i know it's a topsy-turvy world and there's changes happening but we just all got to stay focused on the future and uh and try to push towards that better day so thank you guys for listening to the real deal podcast jason edwards you're a beast thank you for sitting in with us i wish you the best of luck no problem brother and we'll uh we'll see you guys next time